I'd like to invite the children to come closer to the screen, if you would, and I'd like to have a few moments with you this morning. The scripture that Miss Sally read today talks about Jesus calling two sets of brothers, and he called them to follow him. And when he called them, he didn't say, come and follow me and then just stay by yourself over here. He called them together, and he wanted all of them to be with him. And sometimes we are with groups of people. We might be with groups of our family. We might be with groups at school or at church. And sometimes that can be kind of hard. Sometimes it's hard to live with people or to work with people or to play with people when we don't always get along. I have a book that my son got when he was baptized. Some of you may have this book too. It's called God's Dream by Bishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And I wanted to read some of this book to you because I think it talks about what Jesus was hoping for when he called his disciples. Do you know what God dreams about? If you close your eyes and look with your heart, I'm sure, dear child, that you will find out. God dreams about people sharing. God dreams about people caring. God dreams that we reach out and hold one another's hands and play one another's games and laugh with one another's hearts. But God does not force us to be friends or to love one another. Dear child of God, it does happen that we get angry and we hurt one another. Soon we start to feel sad and so very alone. Sometimes we cry, and God cries with us. But when we say we're sorry and forgive one another, we wipe away our tears and God's tears too. Each of us carries a piece of God's heart within us. And when we love one another, the pieces of God's heart are made whole. God dreams that every one of us will see that we are all brothers and sisters. Yes, even you and me. Even if we have different mommies and daddies or live in different faraway lands. Even if we speak different languages or have different ways of talking to God. Even if we have different eyes or different skin. Even if you are taller and I am smaller. Even if your nose is little and mine is large. Dear child of God, do you know how to make God's dream come true? It's really quite easy. As easy as sharing, loving, caring, as easy as holding, playing, laughing, as easy as knowing we are family because we are all God's children. Will you help God's dream come true? Let me tell you a secret. God smiles like a rainbow when you do. Let's have a prayer together. God, we thank you for all the people in this world, even the people who are hard to get along with sometimes. Help us to live out your dream. Help us to love and share and care all, with all people so that we can help your dream come true. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for spending some time with me. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I can count on two fingers the number of times that I have been fishing in my life. I'm not sure the first time should count. I think I was about five years old, and there was a very large plastic hook involved. But the second time, I was in high school, and my cousin took me out on a boat on a lake, and I remember just sort of sitting there, waiting. He didn't really want to talk because he didn't want to disturb the fish, so we just sat there, quietly waiting. I remember being pretty much bored out of my mind. I didn't get the appeal. Why were we sitting there? I don't think we really caught anything, anything to speak of anyway. So this week, I called up a friend of mine who likes to fish, and I asked him what draws him to fishing. He said that for him, it's the solitude, the chance to get away from his busy life and clear his mind. And I have to admit, right now, Escaping from this world and getting away from all the noise sounds pretty darn good. But fishing was a very different kind of experience for those first disciples. For one thing, it was their livelihood, not just a hobby. It was certainly not a way to escape the world. It was hard work. It required long hours, and it was strenuous. Brothers Simon and Andrew worked together to cast their nets out into the sea. James and John worked with their father Zebedee as well as some hired hands to do the work. It wasn't exactly a quiet, solitary activity. And neither was the fishing to which Jesus called them. Jesus met them by the sea and called them to follow. His fishing involved proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As one commentator pointed out, this proclamation was not just a recitation of important words. It was also the way that Jesus created a community. His proclamation of the good news compelled two sets of brothers to set down their nets, their livelihood, and follow him. And that community would later grow to include eight others, and then even more. No, Jesus' fishing expedition was not solitary. And he didn't call his disciples to passively receive his words. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fish for people. Jesus called them into a community whose mission was both to reflect the kingdom of God and to reach out to others. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. I've been thinking a lot about community lately. 
the rhetoric and the violence around the presidential election has made it all too clear that there is a disconnect within and among our communities. We don't seem to know how to talk to each other in ways that lead to better understanding and compassion. We either sidestep the hard topics altogether and pretend they don't exist, or we pull out the boxing gloves and we have at it. I don't think this is a new problem, but it probably hasn't been helped by our modern ways of communicating and getting our news. More and more, our conversations with others are happening through sound bites, through tweets and texts and memes. And more and more, we are disconnected from the personhood of one another. It is so easy to just unfriend or unfollow those people we don't agree with. We can end up in echo chambers where everyone thinks like us. In fact, we can even pick the news source that will give us the version of the facts that we most want to hear. I think that we have a community problem and it has only been made worse by the pandemic. This gift of technology that has allowed us to continue to communicate despite not being able to be together, it's been wonderful. And yet we miss out on the benefits of human touch, of real eye contact, I'm looking at a camera right now, of nonverbal cues that help us to better understand others and connect with their humanity. And when we are able to be with one another in person, we have to stay apart. We have to have masks covering our faces. Quaker writer Parker Palmer says, it's a moral fact that when we fall out of right relationship with each other, decency and democracy have come undone. Perhaps it's no wonder that we're struggling with genuine civil dialogue. Last week, I was walking past my neighbor's house and her father waved at me and started a conversation. He was visiting from out of state and we exchanged the usual pleasantries. And then he started talking about the violence at the Capitol building and about the Black Lives Matter protests last summer. I did not agree with some of the things that he was saying. In fact, I thought that some of the things that he was saying were borderline offensive. And while I didn't pretend to agree with him, I have to confess that I also didn't really know how to respond. I was afraid that if I shared my thoughts, what I really thought, I would end up starting a debate. And honestly, I just didn't have the bandwidth for that. But ever since that encounter, I have been wondering how might I have handled that situation differently? Our baptismal vows call us to reject evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And a desire for unity should never come at the expense of the well-being of others, especially those who have historically been oppressed. But so often I have chosen the path of least resistance. I've chosen to be silent rather than to speak up when it might result in conflict or discord. 
so what should I have done differently? Could I have said something in that moment that might have invited more dialogue and more understanding? Would it have done any good? Of course, I don't think that street corners are probably the best places to be having those conversations. But if they don't start there, then where? Perhaps we need more places where we can practice having hard conversations. Perhaps we need places of genuine community where we can disagree with one another in love. Perhaps, perhaps the church is just such a place. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus' words had the power to call together a community of people, of believers from different walks of life. Those words empowered that community to reflect the kingdom of God. And those words had the power to reach out to others and invite them to come and follow too. But Jesus' words weren't only for those first disciples. He still calls us today. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. This isn't a solitary kind of fishing. As one commentator reminds us, we are not called to the enjoyment of a private salvation, but to a public vocation. Jesus calls us to community, the kind of community that reaches out to others in love, the kind of community that embodies the values and the characteristics of the kingdom of God, the kind of community where we can have tough conversations about what is true and what is right and what is just, where we can love each other even when we disagree, even when we need to hold each other accountable to our baptismal vows. But how do we live into that kind of community? Well, first of all, I think it's important to name that even the community of Jesus' followers didn't always get it right. His disciples competed with each other. They jockeyed for who would be the greatest. They misunderstood Jesus all the time. They failed him and they betrayed him. Jesus didn't just call them that one time from their boats. Jesus called them over and over again. He had to remind them of who he was and who they were called to be. Native American Christian theologian George Tinker points out that the word Jesus uses for repent can mean a change of heart or a change of mind. But in Aramaic, it also has an underlying sense of return. In other words, repentance involves a return to God, to the ideal relationship between the creator and the created. He goes on to say that the church is a response to Jesus' vision of an ideal world. That world is characterized by the love of God and love of one's neighbor as oneself. In that way, the kingdom of God is inherently relational. But, he says, 
This ideal world can only be accomplished through repentance. That is, by returning to God, God as creator and rightful sovereign of all creation. Tinker says that before we can return, we must confess. We must confess our individual humanness, as well as the humanness of our churches, our theologies, and the world economic order in which we participate. We must confess our human inclination to put ourselves in the creator's place. And we must renew our understanding of ourselves and our institutions as creatures. In other words, when Jesus calls us to repent, he's inviting us to recognize and confess that God is God. And he's inviting us to return to community, not only with God, but with all of creation. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was creating a community of people who would work for racial justice in our country. He created a pledge card for those who were participating in the Birmingham campaign. And in that pledge, he asked them to embody the principles of the nonviolent movement. I think this pledge exemplifies what it looks like to live in community with God as our creator and with all of creation. Here's some of what it says. I hereby pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement, to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus, to remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory, to walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love, to pray daily, to be used by God in order that all may be free, to sacrifice personal wishes in order that all might be free, to observe with friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy, to seek to perform regular service for others and for the world, and to refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Friends, if we could embody those values, if we could live that out in our church and in all of the communities in which we participate, think of the witness that we might have in our world. Think of the fish that we could catch. I don't think that West End is far off the mark. Yesterday, our leadership teams met to reflect on where we come from as a church. And as I listened to people's stories, what brought them to West End and why they've stayed, over and over what I heard in what they said was relationships, the ways that we've welcomed new people in our midst, the ways that we've cared for one another and also for those in our community and throughout the world, the ways we've helped one another to grow in our faith. Those relationships made the difference for so many. Jesus calls us not to escape from the world, but to follow him as we fish for people. 
May we confess our own humanness. May we confess God as our creator. May we return to God. And may we continue to create communities that reflect the good news of God's creation. Friends, Jesus is calling. Let's go fishing. Amen.